Give me that countryside. Free Farm Friday, there is a article at the, now I have to find it, and of course I closed it, uh, at Off-Guardian that you must see, by the way, one more thing on the Corona Doom that I forgot, we have the story, this is from the Wall Street Journal today, vaccine mandates can't stop COVID spread, coercion won't work because those without symptoms can still pass on an infection. If you had the journal, story awards for you, I actually think it's on uh, the free version, uh, but it's there. Um, the off-dash guardian story for Free Farm Friday is this. Smashing the heads of farmers, a global struggle against tyranny. And the story is about Farmers in India, Rakesh Takate, a prominent farmers leader, said that according to Reuters, Reuters, more than 500,000 farmers attended a rally in the city of Muzaffarnagar in the Indian state of Uttar Pradesh on, on the 5th of September. Hundreds of thousands more turned out for other rallies in the state. Rakesh Takate a prominent farmer's leader said this would breathe fresh life into the Indian farmers' protest movement. He added, we will intensify our protest by going to every single city and town of Uttar Pradesh. To uh, of Uttar Pradesh. Sounds better when they say it. Of Uttar Pradesh to convey the message that Modi's government is anti-farmer. Uh, Takeda is the leader of the protest movement. Since November of 2020, tens of thousands of farmers have been encamped on the outskirts of New Delhi in protest against three new farm laws that will effectively hand over the agri-food sector to corporates and place India at the mercy of international commodity and financial markets for its food security. Ladies and gentlemen, we're a couple of tyrant actions away from the exact same thing happening here. As a matter of fact, to put it bluntly, it already has happened. All it would take would be for ConAgra, Archer Daniels Midland, Del Monte. Who am I leaving out? Um, of the usual suspects to do this. They just haven't gone tyrannical yet. You can still voluntarily buy their garbage. Uh, so let's go to our... 
expert or our agriculture and livestock master farmers, Brian Koch and I forgot my book, Mr. Dan Mundy here. Uh, not Mundy's on one, right? Yeah, Mitter Monday, I have your book, Durable Trades, here. No word from Rory Graves yet, but I do have, Rory Groves, but I do have the book now. 20 of them in stock. For you, what he had asked is just give me uh, a few dates that would work for you and method preferred methods of communication, and he will confirm one of them. Good, because it's we'll a, be ready to go. Yeah, it's a great book. I, uh... uh I'm glad I tested you on it because I thought I thought you would like it. <laughs> no, it's uh, uh, I think it should be uh, mandatory reading and discussing for people and uh, our little Crusader family because this is why we have Free F Free Farm Friday and why all the other things that we talk about during Free Farm Friday and all during the week about trades and skills and uh, family-centered economies and what have you. I mean, the guy just, <laughs> he comes out the gun blazing. You know, it almost, the book almost starts out like something that Tom Woods or someone would write about uh, the plight of American government. He's just setting the stage, though. He, he's not getting into all that. He's just setting the stage for what has already been lost and now, if I'm reading him correctly, is not recoverable. I agree. He's kind of he is kind of like us. Where okay, the, 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 this is not resurrectable. It's not worth fighting for. It's time to go off and take tried and true methods, which we've got plenty of history on. Or what what we need, not only as a group of society, but what we can do as a family. To, 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 to he's got it. He's got it all covered. He's got it. You know, his, his whole purpose. I, I think his mission is the same. The same as what. Ours is miniature. We, we need to return to a time when we have these tools and they are interactive with each other and they're beneficial of each other. And you can apply subsidiarity and solidarity with them without all the big corporatism. I, I think he's got it. I really do. Yeah, he even has a subtitle in uh, Chapter 1 on the Industrial Revolution about fractured families. And he goes to go, here's what was happening in 1885. Here's what's happening today. And Mr. Grove said, this is a disaster. This is a human disaster here. We're meant to grow up and to stay together in families. It's a, it's a catastrophe what's happened. Well, you know, I remember watching a documentary many years ago on the Industrial Revolution. As one, you know, how those little things stick in your mind. I'm sure you, you understand that. There was a, there was a, it was talking about how they were industrializing uh, uh, the, the, uh, uh, Textiles in, in England, right. and you know they got, they got a little caricature, caricature of, of, of a what was once you know a home-based textile weaver, and he's working in a factory now, and he's got a big scowl on his face, and the, and the, whoever's doing the voicing says, "There was a time I could throw my shuttle down any time I wanted to. <laughs> I could throw my <laughs> shuttle just, down." You know, I, you know, it's it's funny what sticks in your mind, and how many <laughs> years ago I watched that, but I mean like. You know, I, you, know, I, you know, back then I didn't think the way I do now. I'll admit that, or I had a little bit different thinking than matured a little bit. But I remember that line; <laughs> like it, it's very apropos. <laughs> you know, he has a he, uh, he has a subtitle: uh, "The Industrial Revolution Replaced Religion." Uh, he talks about real wealth. And then he talks about the unrevolution. And then, you know, the, the chapter that I'm getting to, Dan, is chapter three. I only have two pages to go to get to chapter three. I'm always salivating at it, though. I just love reading this book. It's called Defining Durable. And he says, 
He starts with a quote from Joel Salatin, uh, Brian Cook. Let me bring my, bro my brother Brian Cook in here. The butcher, baker, and candlestick maker have been around a lot longer than supermarkets and Walmart. That could have been you, Coke, but it was Joel Salatin. <laughs> he is a pioneer. He's done it a lot longer than me, and I've learned a lot from him. And I think hopefully, a lot of, I think it sounds like a lot of people here have too. But uh, well, you, you know that uh, uh, David Simpson is now he has two children at Christendom College, and I mm -hmm. said, well, one thing is great about them being so far away from home, but being at Christendom is that they're in, uh, uh, I think it's Madisonville, not Madisonville, um, oh gosh, what city is Christendom in? And anyways, Salatin's Farm is within like 20 miles, is it Harrisburg, uh, of, of, of the town that Christendom is in, and there's a restaurant uh, that I know because I went to it that actually serves Polyface Farms pork and chicken. Uh, so you can actually get Salatin's Polyface Farm Foods right there on a the menu at a restaurant. That's the way it ought to be, too, BK. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I support that all the way. You know, um, you talk a lot about um, Deborah Medina and all the stuff she did for Texas and, you know, running and everything. She actually had something like that here in Wharton for a few years. And then uh, last year happened and got shut down because she couldn't uh, serve customers. But uh, it was locally produced food and available uh, here in a restaurant, and it was really, really good. And we lost that because of the stupid, whatever, I don't even know what you call it anymore, mandates or whatever, because people couldn't have people in the restaurant. And, um, but, you know, it's, it's something that we should strive for because, I mean, how do how do you how do you help your community better than eating something produced in it you know within it you know yeah it makes it such just, perfect logical sense doesn't it be yeah absolutely. and and Dan doesn't that and yeah. there's something you've been preaching too Dan that makes you go to a restaurant I've seen pictures of it you won the cocktail recipe uh, uh, one week from the cocktail recipe that you got from that restaurant. That guy tries to serve local lo local fare, right? Yes, he does. He does that. And and one of the few that actually tries to do local wine, since a lot of them are snobby. They'll all, they're all on their local food, but they don't want Jersey wine because they get very snobby about it. But, <laughs> no, he's, he's, been, he's been buying chickens for me fairly regularly when I have them. And quite honestly, uh, don't, don't, don't tell anybody, miniature, but he's doing it illegally. No. Not, you know, uh, don't, I don't know not sink. <laughs> uh, you know. All right, let's talk about our, our 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 brothers and sisters separated by an ocean in India, and what's going on with the takeover of the corporate uh, the corporate uh, farming. So, I I mentioned Archer Daniels Midland, Conagra, and Del Monte. Brian or Dan? I know I left a big uh, ag uh, a big ag company or two out. Who did I leave out? Well, Bayer for one, because they're big chemicals, and uh, yeah. and Bayer bought out Monsanto. So, oh, Monsanto! I left Monsanto. So Bayer, yeah. I left Bayer out. Yeah. Uh, any other big? Uh, who is another big ag? Uh, we put on our list to not to not to to uh, to not uh, fraternize or patronize. Well, AD, you got Archer Daniels, Minden, you got Conagra, you got Del Monte, you got well. Uh, you know, Cargill. Tyson. Cargill. Tyson, let, let me ask you, Brian, uh, 
Because a lot of our, our milk here in Louisiana comes from dairy farms in Texas that have all been bought out by one or uh, by one major company. Is it Walmart that is now selling almost all the milk to us? Is there, do I have that right? That's, I think that sounds right. I'm not 100% sure, but that does sound like that's who did that. Dan, does that sound yeah. right to you? Is it Wal- yeah, I think it's yeah, Walmart yeah. that bought all the dairies, right? Well, Walmart did. As a matter of fact, they bought some. And as I remember reading a couple of years ago, they actually built a couple of brand new large ones and closed the little ones and just made some mega milk plants that they're using to ship regionally. At least one big mega one they did. Because so, I remember they shut, they shut down dairies because of it. So here's what's available to milk for milk here in Madisonville, Mandeville, St. Tammany, New Orleans area in Louisiana. It looks like we have all kind of brands that we can shop from. Upon further inspection, they all come from the same place. Borden, I believe, is the outlier. Is that right, uh, Dan? I think Borden is still independent in there, though, and they've been buying up a lot of small... Uh, um, you got Borden. You also got Hood up in the Northeast, the New England area. Hood is still a big, I don't want to say independent, but they're, they're a pretty big dairy food operation as well. Okay, so we have Borden. That's a brand, and we can get it here. That's where it ends. All the rest is the Walmart brand. They just come in different. It comes as Kleinpeter. It comes, if it's a big enough store, they'll have their own off-brand. It's a private label. We know they're getting it from the Walmart factory or one of the factories that's either in Dallas or the one, and I think it's a, there's a, a dairy in Arkansas. All of these tanker trucks that you see that have the galvanized stainless steel tanker trucks that you see, you think that they're transporting, uh, you think that they're transporting some kind of fuel or some kind of chemical. Almost all of them are transporting what? Mitter Coke? Milk. 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 They're filled with milk. <laughs> so it's going to get homogenized and blasted in double secret probation, uh, pasteurized. The cows are filled with, they're eating crap. They're in the worst of environments. They're being steroided up to make those mothers, those milking cows, think that they're pregnant or they're nursing all the time. This milk, and then, look, we're all drinking, almost all of us are drinking it. Uh, it's not even really whole milk anymore, is it, Mittermundi? No, it definitely is not. And I kind of grew up on raw milk and then really didn't have any for maybe 30 years. And have recently, thanks to DePaul, DePaul, we love you, DePaul. Uh, I've been getting some from a uh, low. Uh, hey, now wait a minute. Uh, we like him, but let's not go too far, okay? Um, <laughs> I love the poll. I love the poll. We love the uh, poll. We love the poll. Uh, there's another one, in Pennsylvania. I'm going to investigate. But yeah, I've been getting the milk, getting cream, getting yogurt, getting cottage cheese. Uh, matter of fact, this year when I bring cheeses up to the SBC conference, there will be cheeses I made. Thanks to your thanks to your daughter. Uh, Ashley kind of got me going on it, and now I'm starting to make fresh cheeses, and maybe by next uh, um, Crusader conference there, we will uh, have some actually aged harder cheeses. I'm going to – got to get the skills. I sure got to get the skills. But there's no – there is no – there. You know, yeah, some people won't like it. You get goat milk, you say, God, it tastes a little grassy. You open it up sometimes, and you get a whiff, it actually might smell like the goat. You know what? Good for you. I tell you what. For you one I've only been drinking white water. It's much better for you. The only goat's milk I've ever had was Dusonia Underground's goat's milk, Miss Julie's goat. And dude, 
That was as sweet as any cow milk I ever had. I actually asked for seconds. <laughs> it was so good. Uh, Brian, I want to talk about the, uh, the the milk situation here and about the Crusader Investment Club. So we talked a little bit last week about, okay, how much money do we need to invest regionally so that we can start encouraging people uh, maybe that have the skills already or to learn the skills, and this would be a multi-year project, uh, but we need... Uh, we need sages. We need Dan Mundy. We need Brian Koch. We need our friend that uh, Tracy Stoller, who did the show on the. Uh, it's not aquaponics. Uh, well, if I'm going to get the name wrong, of raising the fish in the tanks and then using using what comes out of that as a fertilizer for your garden and what have you. We need these things. And we need them regionally, and we need to start building them and investing. These are things. Look. They're going to kill what remains of any value of the cash that you currently have. There is no sense stockpiling cash. There is, though, a sense, Brian, and I know Monday agrees with this. There is a sense, though, and David and I were talking about this yesterday. You got some grands lying around? Find something you can buy with it because they can't take that away. You're not going to be able to use the cash. It's going to be worthless very soon. You might as well go ahead and, oh, here's a $25,000, 1,000-gallon-per-day milking machine set up here. Just needs cows. This is the direction we need to start thinking. And we need the sages of the agriculture and livestock business, like Mr. Saladin, like Dan, like Brian Koch, to be there for people, almost kind of like, uh, Dan, you remember in Green Acres, uh, almost kind of like a smart version of Mr. Kimball. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't, I don't know if we're going to, with all due respect to a lot of people I know, I don't know if we're going to find that in the current USDA, not because they're not smart, but they're indoctrinated. And that's, you know, we got we got we to gotta spirit them away and deprogram them a little bit. So, Brian, yeah, no, you remember Mr. Kimball, though, right? He was the absent-minded idiot, but he was, what, he was, was he the USDA guy or was he a local farm, farm bureau? He was here. No, he was local. He was a local guy, but he'd come yeah, around. He was, the, he, was, he was the county. He was the county guy. So, Brian. Yeah, he always had, he always had pamphlets. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Brian, he was you. Uh, I'm state. I'm, 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 I'm even dumber. <laughs> You're even dumber. <laughs> Seriously, though, uh, and there's a lively discussion about this in our Crusader Stadium chat room right now. It's 100 people in there that are, that are in there talking about this. Um, I think one of the things that we can all be very feel like we're blessed uh, this entire year of Free Farm Friday, our uh, Crusader Congress, where we learned uh, that we're going to have to govern ourselves, so let's start practicing it and start figuring out how we can form new governments or govern ourselves. Now we got we have to figure out. Okay, we need the uh, uh, Dan Mundy, what uh, Mr. Groves calls the primary parts of the economy of the family economy. Uh, right now, we're at less than three percent of people working in primaries. At the turn uh, of the nineteenth, scary. At the turn of the nineteenth century, there was almost ninety percent at primary. Now we have ninety-seven percent at secondary, tertiary, and quandary. 
this is not a good situation. It's going to end tragically for many, many people if we don't do something about it now, which is why I, I say, Brian, uh, and I know that you and Aaron have talked because David told me that he's talked to Aaron and some others about taking some of this Crusader Investment Club money and actually finding pe people that, that want to actually do the far farming. Maybe they have other uh, part-time jobs now to support their farm. We get them to be our regional produce and regional meat people and milk people, and then we all commit to the idea, I'm going to buy from them or barter with them, and I'm not going to barter with Walmart anymore. This is where mm -hmm. we need to go, correct? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And, uh, I mean, it, it, it's, it's uh, why, I mean, it just makes so much sense to everything we have talked about as far as building our communities. And if we can find those people willing to, you know, help, you know, farm their land and, and do the, the produce the stuff that we want, not send it, you know, overseas or whatever thing like that. That's what we need to do. That's what we need to focus on. And, you know, it's funny. And I need to call him. Uh, Joe Beeman sent me a message. It sounds like he's uh, going to take some butchering classes and stuff. And, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of people thinking about, you know, changing what they need to do, uh, even uh, changing that, you know, finding that real vocation and, and, and doing that stuff and, you know, becoming a butcher or becoming a farmer or becoming, you know, because we need, we need different levels of that. We need someone who knows how to, you know, mill, you know, mill grain and, and make feed and, you know, do other things too. It's not just, uh, you, you know, it's not just, you know, producing the food for us, but we've got to produce food for our animals and we've got to learn how to, you know, come up with that and find infrastructure for that as well. Dan, uh, this is an infrastructure problem we talk about all the time. Um, there is hope because we're not alone and our numbers are growing. Yes, they are. And then, and unfortunately, we lost poor Shannon there. But yeah, I'm going to throw another thing in there, make sure we do need to worry about, and that is the law. Because they are, they already are. Let's talk about the people in, in, in India. They're going to try to legislate us out of this. Oh, yes. I've got a lot of website, a lot of websites about what's different states and what you can and cannot do. And I told you, I'm not legally allowed in the state of New Jersey to sell uh, my product directly to a restaurant. I can sell it directly to a, a person. And I think I said, told you, but I'll repeat the story. If you, if you know, the, I, I questioned this. Well, what if I'm allowed to sell twenty thousand birds a year on my farm to individuals? Why can't I sell them to a restaurant? And the answer is, well, if you go to a restaurant. People don't expect to get sick and die. And I said, well, I would assume that my customers also don't expect to get sick and die. And I said, if I had you know, unlimited time and money and decided to fight that, you know what would happen? They'd say, you're right. You can't do it at home either. So, you know, we, we, we're going to have to watch this because when it comes to baked goods, uh, you know, process, you know, home processed things, uh, meat, there's all kinds of regulations all over the place. And you know, a lot of them get ignored. I'm not allowed to take my turkeys to Pennsylvania and have them slaughtered and bring them back and sell them in Jersey. I do it, but I'm not allowed to. So these are the other things we have to keep an eye on because people want to, I think, you know, invest and set these things up. You've heard of a lot of the dairy things. They create kind of clubs and co-ops where you sign an agreement uh, when you're buying the raw milk. There are, there are ways to do it. It's just that we have to be abreast of them and abreast of them in our area and have a resource to help us guide through that. So they're they're going to come and try to shut us down. Let me give you another sign of hope here. 
Uh, Mrs. O'Connor, could you put the picture back in the chat room again? Uh, there is a, a boys' school in Pennsylvania. It's run by the TFP, Tradition Family and Property. Uh, Dusonia Underground has a couple of his sons actually went there. They are now teaching live, maybe they were before, we just didn't know it, but now they're taking pictures because people like him pictures of it and are showing they are now teaching their boys at, it's at St. Gregory the Great right uh, they're now teaching no they're uh, now teaching their boys uh, they're raising the chickens and I, as I said they may have been doing this before uh, but they're now teaching them how to slaughter and properly dress the chickens um, these are as young teenage boys who are now going to come out of a school who knew uh, a high school that is uh, uh, now teaching them things that they can actually use to feed and support a family. Um, if you can't get your kids to this school, Brian, where would one go to learn Joe Beeman or where would Joe go to learn butchering? I'm, I'm not 100% sure. I think there's probably some, you know, around that... Um I'm trying to think of the guy's name. Well, that Stockman Grass Farmer magazine that I that I put in the in the uh, in the uh, directory. In the directory, they yeah they have they have classes and stuff for that, um, <laughs> and they have people. Felix Medrano says, "Come on, King dude, YouTube." <laughs> That's right. There's a class for everything on you, boob, isn't there? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, I mean, I, that's where I learned a few things. But uh, also, uh, there's a book, uh, Joel Salatin, well, he wrote the forward for it. I can't remember who wrote it, but it's on butchering. And that's what I, you know, learned how to do my all my cuts and stuff. Well, you know, I kind of learned it on my own. But I've been, you know, I've been cleaning deer for how long and hogs, you know, that I shoot, you know. So it, it's it's a lot of the biology is the same. It's just now, bigger or smaller. Let me know, just tell what it is. Let me just tell you that right here locally in Amy, Louisiana, our friends, Nick and Hope, run a farm, and he started it like five years ago. And he goes, I, I didn't know. He didn't know what he was doing. He goes, I just bought it. It was a farm uh, because I thought we needed a farm. <laughs> we need to start farming. So Nick, uh, Nick Giovelli bought this farm. I can't remember how many acres. I want to say it's like 40 or 60 or so. Maybe it's 100 for a massive piece of property. Um, Brian, I believe this year, now he's been doing chickens for three years now. And I believe this year, because we missed getting in on the first crop or first availability of fresh farm-raised right here in Amy, Louisiana, Louisiana beef. Oh, wow. So Nick is someone that me and David should go and talk to. You're like, dude, mm -hmm. what's it going to take for you? Instead of raising two a year, you got all this land. How can we bump that up to 20 so we can feed our entire Latin mass communities? That's what you do. Yeah. yeah you figure out. I mean, and, and, you know, this goes back to our regenerative principles as well. You can run a lot of cattle on not huge acreages of land if you raise the property. And you can do that meat. You know, it's the same thing. And that's just cattle. I mean, you could go into this multi species 
can do pigs and chickens and everything else. Everything has its role, and they eat, you know, goats and cows don't eat the same thing. No. They can graze together. And, you know, sheep and cows don't do the same thing. And actually, their parasites are dead ends in each other. So, you're, you know, you're killing parasites as well, you know, when you mix these animals. Like, and did you and, hear so, Brother Andre Marie say the sister Philomena and the sisters now have 82 <coughs> head of pig? Wow. 82, brother said, <laughs> which Mrs. O'Connell replied, so you say we're getting fresh bacon at the St. Benedict Center Conference this year, brother. <laughs> 82 head of pig now. Um, Dan, do you know where uh, one might go to learn uh, the arcane art of butchery? Dan Mundy. He gone? He gone. Looks like everybody's gone. I'm here. Okay. Well, Monday's gone. You just need to hit the blue again. There you go. Yeah, Monday, you're still there? Oh, yeah, I'm here. Okay. Yeah, somebody put you there. Yeah, somebody somebody put you off a hold or the demons oh. got to you. Who knows? Uh, uh, a gremlin, a gremlin got to you. I'm here, Medicare. You know I wouldn't run away. So, where uh, butchering? Where where to go? Any suggestions? Oh, butchering. Um, um uh, I mean, I've, I've I've I learned it when I was a kid because we actually had a you know, local butcher, and they were rough old mean guys, but they showed us what to do, and you learn a little about it, you know by yourself. Plenty of good videos. That's one thing I, I caught a little bit of it when I was trying to listen there with Brian. I, I you know I do not know, and I have not seen any. Real classes like you see for cheese making and things that people do, but no, maybe that's something one of us has to start. Who has the knowledge hey, about and, this for yourself? So, hey, you know, hey, I'll teach you, I'll teach people how to kill chickens at least the way I do it. I'll be happy to do that. And this is not, uh, it doesn't have anything to do with uh, farming per se or agriculture per se, but it does. Uh, in the next couple of weeks ago, I'll make the arrangements with her. You know, the lady that came on and did our cheese class? Mm -hmm. Yep. She makes soap. And her husband told me, King Dude, ask her. She'll come on and do a show on soap making. And she and he said, it's not hard. Making your own soap. You know, you think a soap, oh, I'm going to have to go get, you know, a giant brick at Sam's uh, of ivory or palm olive or whatever. You can actually make your own soap. And I'm going to tell you, I've been showering with, uh, with one of the bars that she made for me uh, and sent to me. Uh, thank you very much, my my beautiful friends up there in Washington State, rattle, Timber Rattlesnake Country. Um I, 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 as a matter of fact, I'm going to write her a note today and go like, uh, you shouldn't have sent me just one bar. I'm going to need another. You're going to need a bigger bar. <laughs> I'm going to need more. That soap is so good. It smells so good. And it's mild. Soap making is another thing that we can do. Yep. My, my grandmother used to make soap, and a lot of the locals who are big into goats around me is one of the things they do. I, I have not made soap. But um, my, my uh, they all make soap, just like the ones you're getting from your, your person there. It, it's I know it's not hard. It's another thing. Another thing. Well, and, and I, I think I it has something to do with, and uh, Brian, you can talk about this, and so can Dan. I think it has something to do with, and this is a Cajun principle from Acadiana, too. The, the French Cajuns brought it here. And if you actually watch Anthony Bourdain's before they killed him, you know that they say that Bourdain was going to rat out the cabal. The, the pedo ring. Before the cabal got rid of Bourdain, one of my favorite Anthony Bourdain uh, cooking shows or whatever, or, or, or cooking with Anthony Bourdain or a lifestyle or whatever it was, he came 
to Maggie O'Connell's family's hometown. He came to Church Point Rain, Louisiana. That's an exit on the I-10. And he went and he found the pig farmers, and they were gonna, and they had a good old-fashioned Acadiana, French Catholic Acadiana fedodo, as we call it here. Oh, yeah, Meshad, we're going to have a fedodo. Uh, what's a fedodo? Brian, you know what a fedodo is? Uh, uh, nope. <laughs> yes, you do. To, or couchon de la Well, the, the, the pig go fait dodo. That's what you put the pig to sleep, fait dodo. And then you have a couchon de lait. Uh, he had a pig roast. And, oh, okay. And the Cajun showed him that nothing on that pig goes to waste. They yeah, shoot I mean, it in the head, and then they put it over a giant tub, and they do the the jugular after they kill it, and they take they keep all the blood, and they make good old fashioned blood pudding and blood sausage with it. They take all the entrails, the small intestines. You know what they use that for to stuff boudin and sausage, right? Every, all the skin is fried up for crackling. Uh, or for ha or use ham hocks, you know, for in cooking to make uh, to make lard. They uh, reduce all the fat out, and when they're boiling the the pig to get the uh, the skin off, what have you, they harvest the fat. Nothing goes to waste. So I believe it's the same process that you would use uh, in harvesting goat milk and what have you to make soap. Yeah, it's, it's pretty close. I mean, you just you try to utilize everything. You know, when we get a pig, we get the whole thing. We even do the organs and stuff, and you know, it just it, we try to use it as much as as much as we can get, and um, you know we do the lard and render the lard, and we um, you know take uh -oh. the head and somebody. It's, it's okay. You go ahead and get that, uh, Dan. You know what the best part of pig is? You know this because you came to the uh, uh, hogs for the cause a couple times. The cheek. Yeah, and that's actually become pretty big in restaurants. You know, they all of a sudden, like, they rediscovered this kind of stuff. But, yeah, uh, pork, pork cheeks. Matter of fact, you can get them at my Juniper Hill restaurant there. They they do have them. So uh, there's a lot of things I think people don't realize that you can utilize that they don't think about and and or they're, you know, I don't know they like the taste. You know, some things you may need to acquire if, you have, if you've been living on McDonald's and uh uh, fried chicken all your life there from the fast food places, but that doesn't make it bad. You just need to learn. Now, let me just <laughs> let me just say to you that in our new republics, we're in the South, buddy. Ms. O'Connell's going like, yeah, no more fried chicken. No, we're going to have fried chicken, fresh fried chicken. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. When, I, when I listen to you and Barrett argue over who has the best chicken sandwich out there these days. I sit back and say, you know the best chicken sandwich? My chicken sandwich in the church is the best chicken sandwich out of my chicken. <laughs> Brian, we're, we're not, we're, Brian Coke, we are not ending any fried chicken anywhere, anytime soon, anywhere in our new republics here in the South. No, heck no. We're making our national food, our republic's food. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, who does I mean, shoot, I mean, I'd, Wish I had more chicken to fry. I mean, <laughs> and I wish it wasn't so. And you know, to me, it's 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 a lot of work because uh, because I and uh, but man, it is so worth it. Okay. I also like yes. taking the livers and the hearts and the gizzards and frying them up too. Well, well you and Maggie can y'all can talk about that and you can have that. Come on. Nope, not gonna. Do it. Perfectly other good parts of the pig. Y'all can have the heart and gizzards all you want. 
<laughs> you can have my share, okay? Development okay. man, they don't know about them. My kids lead it up. To oh, me. oh! <laughs> did you hear that? I just got called a development man. He, he he's a development man. He doesn't know about all that good stuff. <laughs> uh, uh, Dan Mundy, one of the things that I'm going to talk to Mr. Rory Groves about when we get him on the uh, the program here is also about all of this stuff that we talk about that you're hearing us talk about today. You know, all the great plans you guys are making in the uh, Crusader Stadium chat room today and the exchange of information, Tar Heel militias declaring himself his own republic, has got his own mission statement. I love that. All that stuff we're talking about. At the end of the day, and I want all you to know this and to always bear this in mind, even if you're grandparents now and you're child-rearing uh, and having days are over, it doesn't matter. This is all about also restoring family, and when we restore family, as in, do not teach your children uh, that you can't wait for them to leave the nanosecond they turn 18 or whatever the uh, age of consent is in your state. We restore family. We can then also restore community. And then we will have children who will not be running off to go pursue uh, whatever supposed dreams and whatever uh, city to, to uh, work in one of the now 39,000 uh, tertiary and quandary or quandary uh, uh, occupations out there. We need to teach our children they need to stay close at home, Dan and Brian, because we need their talent and their skill. No question. I'm, no, I'm, I'm lucky. I'm lucky that my son uh, still will help me whenever I ask him. He Good. never turns me down. So, Now, Brian, your children are young. You can teach them this. Yes. Oh, and they're learning it. Um, I mean, they're learning all of it. James is so excited when we butcher chickens. He's like, can I cut their heads? You know, <laughs> <laughs> can I cut their head, Daddy? Daddy, let me cut him. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, uh, well, you know, when we first, the first time we ever did it, I think it was Felicity who was. I mean, she was like two years old, and she wanted to be there and watch it. And the first one I did, and that chicken, you know, squirted blood, and she about freaked out and cried for about thirty seconds. And then the next morning, she was right there, and she forgot all about it, and it was fascinating to her from then on. So, you know, it's I think you have to teach these skills not only to, you know, grow your food, but to understand that things live and things die, and we, you know, we, you know, we need it to speed ourselves. You yes. know, this is how food happens. You know, it's not go down to the H-E-B or wherever your grocery store is and walk down the aisle and just pick it up. That's just a piece of meat. You don't see the whole process that goes into everything. And now, now, to that end, Brian, hold that thought right there. Uh, I wanted to bring both you and Dan in on this, then we're going to talk about something else for a moment. Hurricane Ida showed, hopefully showed, about a million people here in southeast Louisiana, what it should have shown to about 600,000 people in southwest Louisiana last year during Hurricane Laura. We are one to two days away. I'd say 95% of the population is one to two days away 
um, from being without food, without necessities, without water. Uh, we know they were without gasoline because there was a, a gas or ga gasoline lines here in Mandeville, one and a half mile long. Um, that means there were that many people that unprepared, and that also married to this being uh, what, what do you call me, uh, Mrs. O'Connell? What's your what's your uh, uh, your term for me? Development dweller, uh, our development dweller way of life. We don't know how to care for ourselves. Walmart's not open, bub. And if the Exxon doesn't have gas, I need to run six days worth of generators. We're poop out of luck here. That is not an enviable... Uh, the, the thing that I wish people would take away from these hurricanes is they had hurricanes before the modern age. We don't have any horror and war stories about how awful it was. You know why? Because they were primarily self-sustaining and dependent. If they lost a season of crops because of Hurricane uh, Anne or whatever, the turn of the 19th century, or 20th century, took it out, they probably had to prepare on their own, and they probably had canned, preserved food to make up the difference. They weren't reliant upon electricity. There's nothing wrong with having electricity. Please don't misunderstand. Or gas generators. It's not a war against gas generators. Again, we're not Luddites. But we need to. But we need to have a reality about this. If a hurricane, just one simple storm, has the capacity to incapacitate a million people, Dan Mundy, that is a situation that can't be good for anyone, uh, regardless of their station in life, is it? No, it's not good, miniature. And I, you know, I'm old enough, like you are, to remember gas lines in the seventies. Remember gas lines? I in do. The 70s? And I remember at least several instances, and how, you know, how old were we? Well, 10, 12 years old back in those days. I remember in the paper, and you're on the New York City area, several people you know, pulling out guns and shooting each other over a gallon of gas. And I remember sitting back then, because everybody told me I was 50 when I was 15. Right. Uh, I'm sitting there saying, if this is what they're going to do over a gallon of gas, what are they going to do if their children are hungry? So it's a, it's a pretty, you know, those things get a little scary if you don't think about it. And, you know, people's memories are short. They're inconvenienced here for a couple of weeks with the storm, and six months from now, they're going to be more concerned about who won the game yesterday. True that. And, Brian, uh, you had a storm come through uh, your area just recently. You uh, survived, it looked like, without a lot of interruption. But how prepared was your homestead um, for the loss of electricity, the need for fuel, et cetera, et cetera? Well, I have, uh, I keep about 30, oh, about 35 gallons of gas. Uh, I just rotate it out. Mm -hmm. But I keep that, uh, keep that going in case I need to run the generator. Uh, we've got food in the freezer. We've got canned food. Uh, we've got, um, you know, dry food as well. Just for that, um, you know, we saw the same thing in the freeze. You know, we were cut off and... You know, we could probably could have gone, I would have spent a solid three or four weeks on what we had uh, at that time. Right now, we're, we're maybe a little better off because, of, you know, the, everything after the summer garden and, and everything. But, um, yeah, I mean, I went to the grocery store Tuesday after the storm hit. Um, and fortunately, I buy the stuff that nobody else buys. 
uh, you know, I don't buy junk food, but all the <laughs> junk food is gone. Yeah, you know, I yeah, it, yeah, junk food, bottled water, all that stuff was gone, mm-hmm. and that was that was because everybody, you know, had ran to ran to the store and got it on on Monday, you know. But that was just that was just a little oh a category one storm, and it was category one for about you know a couple hours compared to. And I'm not you know I'm not minimizing it because the people that got hit by it. They they were a lot worse shape than we were. They did lose power for a couple of days and and stuff. But right. still, it wasn't what y'all saw, or it wasn't what you know they saw. You know, saw over you know around Lake Charles and stuff either. So, but then Harvey, we had Harvey too, and that was another. That's right, you did have wake up, wake up call. Harvey, we were cut off, Mike. We were cut off for three days. We were basically on an island, and it was it was not um, you know. You know, there was a lot of people panicking then because they couldn't. Yeah, and it was like, once the water goes down, we can get food in here. But and, and that food will go down in a couple of days. I mean, the food, the water will go down in a couple of days. But it, you know, it's like people. We had that wake up call four years ago. Yes. But you know, and then last year, whenever the, everything got shut down, they raided the stores. So, man, one of my points in bringing this up, you know, Richard Barrett gave that uh, great presentation at our Congress about solar power and about if you're going to use it, okay, be smart about it, lower your expectations. You're not going to be selling $50,000 or $5,000 of power back to the grid every year as you hear all these urban legends. I make money off my power. BS, dude. BS. Very few people make money off their power. Uh, you can. Uh, this is the thing. People don't know this. Uh, here in Louisiana, if you do sell your power back, solar power back to the grid, guess what happens when the grid power goes out? Do you know the answer to this? I don't know if it's the same in Texas. You know what happens? Your solar power won't work. It's connected to the grid. If it's not feeding the grid, if it doesn't get the feedback that is connected to the grid, it won't turn on. And I'm going like, that's pretty stupid. Well, that's kind of like, I don't know if it's a law here in Louisiana, but we know people that had solar panels on their roofs after Lauren. They go like, we didn't have any power. None. Didn't work. Couldn't turn it on. You get an error message. And I'm like going, okay. So this is another thing then. Uh, to be able to generate power, I think we ought to all be talking about it. Maybe we do a class on this or another presentation. Not only do we do solar, if you got enough property, uh, you know, a small, modest windmill can help. Uh, there are battery systems you can get now. You know, the the uh, the Tesla roof is an actual thing now. And supposedly the Tesla roof, uh, the, uh, I guess they're using a car battery system. Uh, the, the batteries will store up enough electricity for you to run your house on while the sun is not out. You know, if you have any uh, any topography to your land, you can dig a nice pond out, Dan or Brian, at the highest point in your property. Uh, you know, dig down to where the water will f- will, will fill and it will hold water. Uh, you can rig yourself from your highest point of your property to your lowest point of your property. Even if you don't have a creek, you can make one. Uh, if it's a rain incident storm, what's going to fill up with water? Uh, you can put a modest, you can be, uh, have a construct or buy, uh, I think you can actually construct one, a modest, small uh, kind of water wheel uh, generator outfit. 
uh, that you can actually use. Again, there are ways, and they don't teach us this because they want us on the grid. There are ways that with a not too large, a couple of acres of property, you actually can kind of prepare for when the grid goes, uh, yeah, we're going to be out for six weeks. Right, B? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, uh, you know, I was looking at rainwater harvesting and collecting, you know, just to have extra water. I bet there's some very smart engineering type people in this chat and, and listening that could rig up some of those rainwater harvesting into a some sort of mill to, to create electricity where you keep the water going even after the rain is finished. I mean, I just, it's just an idea that popped in my head, but, you know, using, using, you know, elevation and, uh, you know, other things. So I think, I think, you know, we need to, uh, yeah, definitely think about these alternatives, uh, beyond solar and, and, and do that. I mean, you know, here, uh, the wind doesn't blow all the time, but further down south, you have more wind, consistent wind. You can, you know, rely on that wind energy a little bit more. Hey, and do you know something I'm discovering in uh, uh, designing our... I'm going to tell you people about all this, and I'm going to enlist about uh, 50 of you men in there. You're, you're going to become part of a big construction crew here soon. Do you know what a prevailing wind pattern is, Dan Mundy? Dan Mundy. Prevailing wind pattern? Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. Um... Definition? No, I'm pretty sure I have an idea, but I'm not sure what you're what you're defining it as. I mean, there is a there is a there there are specific. Wait a minute, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Okay, tell me, Brian. You know what a prevailing wind pattern is? Yeah, uh, we ours is southeast. You can actually get it down uh, it, it, with you, if if you actually know the spot where you want to put a windmill or something like that. You can actually get it down. You can you can research it and you can find out pretty much and get within a couple of degrees. You know why that comes in handy? Because you can put a windmill and you can orient it so that it can be maximized for the prevailing wind pattern. Now, I know that the windmill can turn, right? But you can still place it so that it doesn't have to turn as much. And you've got, if you know what the prevailing wind pattern is, there's another thing that you can use the prevailing wind pattern if you're building or maybe you remodel. If you know what the prevailing wind pattern is, you live here in the deep south, build a house with 10 foot ceilings and transoms. And if you know what the prevailing, I know an architect guy who told me this, and I'm like, you're lying. You're full of it. He goes, Mike, I did it for my daughter in Mississippi, the coast of Mississippi. He goes, her electric bill during the summer is $50 a month. I'm like, you're lying. I, show me. And so then he showed me, he goes, the, the air circulates if you know where it's coming from, and then you build the transoms and the windows correctly. And he goes, the air, the, the, the circulating air, even in the deep, the hottest summer, now you have to build your roof a certain way too, even in the hottest summer, you can actually use the uh, the wind. There's always some wind that's available. And actually it will circulate throughout your house and it'll knock your need for electricity down uh, significantly if you just know the prevailing wind pattern. This is stuff that our ancestors, they knew when they were going to build a house, they just plop it down in the middle of a field, Brian. They knew what the prevailing wind pattern was. They knew what their elevation was. They knew where the water was or whatnot, because you have to take that into consideration. They plan, In other words, they planned to live on and from the land. 
And I mean, there's, you know, we've been doing it for years before we had all this infrastructure. I mean, you look at, you look at, um, like Texas history. And one of the things we learned about in Texas history was the dog run on the houses where they maximized the wind for, uh, you know, they, they built it in the direction of the wind, mm-hmm. prevailing wind to cool, you know, cool area. Cause it, it was hot down here and you know, that's how they did it. That's how they did it without electricity. You know, um, you know, they took advantage of, you know, you have like springs. They took advantage of that when they would, you know, milk their cows and stuff. They would store the milk in the springs because that was cooler water coming out of the ground. You know, it just, it was things that we have forgotten about because we've had all these conveniences and stuff. And, you know, it, it, you know, we're, I, I, th- I think one thing we have to realize, and it was, a, I can't take credit for this, uh, but, Someone recently said, if we want to become self-sufficient, we have to understand we are going to have to do without things. So we're not going to have all our creature comforts. We're not going to have all of our food we exactly want. You know, we're not going to have our hot shower. But as long as we have enough to survive, we're going to, but, but we, we're going to have to learn how to get away from being so comfortable. And No, I, no, we Americans, we need to be more yeah. comfortable. I know, I know, but if we don't, then we're going to be dead because we're going to drive ourselves crazy trying to be comfortable. Now, now I want to, I want to say um, one more thing about the uh, the aftermath of Hurricane Ida. So, one of the things that you get out of a hurricane event is a lot of debris. Lots of debris. There's pine needles, sycamore leaves, southern maple leaves, uh, stacked up 20 feet tall, timber that's been cut down. You you go around here and you go like, where, where, where are the pickup trucks? When are they going to start picking this stuff up? Uh, I had about six inches of debris coverage in my backyard. And so I did the Brian K. Brian, which one of the five things you have to have to have to have Coke's regenerative farming? Oh, let's see. Covered soil? There you go. So I got as much pine out of, uh, needles out of it as I could and tried to have more leaf presence in it. I covered all my fall vegetable beds with the debris. So I just took advantage of it. And the rest of it I raked up, got it in a giant pile. It'll start making some form of compost as it decays. And then I can use it to feed the nat- uh, the, 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 the natural part, uh, the agricultural part or the, uh, the plant part of the compost pile. So, you know, you got to remember these things. We need to rake all those leaves up and throw them away. What? No, don't throw them away. <laughs> you need to keep all that stuff. That's yeah. That's free stuff. I mean, it is free. There's a guy who grows organic peaches around San Marcos, Um, and you know, you know how what he does. He drives around San Marcos picking up all the yard trash and all that, you know, limbs and leaves and stuff. And he has a big wood chipper and chips them up, and that's a big component of his fertility. I mean. People, we throw away so. I mean, we throw away so much crap, especially stuff that we can use again. 
it may be not, you know, it, it takes a little work, but you can do that. And we're, we're just so wasteful. Yeah, completely. I, I mean, but, but Brian, that's by design. Uh, we're going to have to wrap it up here. So our last question or our last uh, discussion here for Dan Mundy. Dan and Rory Groves' book, uh, Durable Trades, he writes about this in the introduction. And he says, you know, if you go back 75, 80 years, there are no 96-gallon ugly-ass green cans sitting in front of everyone's house. That some guy uh, drives by and picks up every Tuesday. Well, that's exactly right. As you said, as you said with the animal, you used a hundred percent of everything, and everything had a use. Uh, you know, I, 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 even if you don't, you know, I don't. I don't think there's a bone I throw away that I don't make some kind of stock of. Heck, I save my vegetable water and cook it down. Put an ice cube tray to throw one in when I'm making sauces. I throw nothing away, and when it does come to something to throw it away, it either goes to the dogs. The pigs or to the chicken <laughs> or into the compost pot. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I, I, heck, you know, I mean, and, and, and you're right. I mean, I, I think part of the problem, literature, you, you hit on it because everybody's so lazy, but, and, you know, Brian and I, we love to do it. You're learning to love to do it. But think about it. Five years ago, if this had happened, you probably might have, you know, had somebody else come and clean up your yard. Now you're realizing, number one, it's good for what you can do, and, and you're starting to enjoy doing it yourself. People have to make that part of their thought process and their routine. That's how you have to start thinking. What can I use this for? I take it to an extreme. My wife will tell you, if you ever stop by my place, they'll say, what are you going to do with all the stuff you collected? I don't know. If it, <laughs> if it <laughs> weren't... Nothing, nothing has a... My son and I are coming here on Sunday to raid the dumpster at work. Dan, I say, Dumpsters are your friend. Dan, <laughs> if it wasn't... Stuff in there. If it wasn't for you and Brian and other guys like you and um, me playing catch-up, and being completely obsessed and ridiculous with this stuff, Brian, it just wouldn't happen. <laughs> it's 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 actually for me, it's a complete change of life and lifestyle that I am learning. Right, mm -hmm. I'm just a student now. Yeah, and I'm You're I'm in the near the twilight of <laughs> life here. But I'm learning it, and I'm going like, man, I was an idiot, good Lord. Um, I think that this is healthy, though. And like Brother Andre said on a Wisdom Wednesday two weeks ago, when you begin, when you commit to learning something, it's healthy. It opens actual, there's research that shows it actually makes new synapses in your brain. Yeah. It's healthy to, to, to continue learning. Um, I just think it's a it, it's fascinating the uh, the sheer amount of things. I mean, this takeover of human life and flourishing, Brian and Dan. I'll get your final comment on this, and then we're going to Mr. Barrett. This takeover is complete. The modernists complete. They executed their plan flawlessly. The takeover is complete from the destruction of the family to an individual or a family, families there are, near complete reliance on stuff that has to be. And this is so ridiculous. Dude, whoever would think that you would truck your food in from 800 miles away? The, the, the destruction of human flourishing on family-owned properties, um, it's complete, guys. They rule the world. We we are their slaves. We do what they wanted us to do. They 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 have succeeded in their program. 
But now, people have figured it out. The gig is up. And people are going to turn away. And I don't think there is really, uh, even if with a war, there's really much that they can do about it because it's natural to us to do what we're doing and talking about here every Friday. Dan Money, you go first. Well, unfortunately, Mr. Chair, I was, my mental kind of tell you, I was really on and up when I called in. Now you start to make me get a little somber. Ultimately, I think a lot of people are going to lose, whatever lose means on this, because they, They've had too many generations of being indoctrinated to this. I'm sure there's some we can resurrect. I'm sure there's some sure. That are there to help us. But uh, if the idea was the population, or however they're going to accomplish it, I hate to say it, I think they're going to accomplish more of it than we'd like to see. Oh, I but, do not uh, have any doubt that the, that their population control event uh, is going to be some successful, somewhat of a success. Right. But look! Look at the people that are starting to step up. Look at the Beemans. Look at look at Tar Hill Militia. I mean, we've all been kind of doing this, but people are starting to step step up, and we're here to help each other. And you've heard me say, but I mean, you, this is not a you know, we're, this isn't a you know, uh, we're going to we're going to stand on your own, and, and I'm going to be 100 percent self sufficient. It doesn't work that way. We take our skills and our our resources that we have at hand, and we trade and we teach each other, and. Yes, we will be the ones that survive. Even us old folks, Mayor Terry, we will be the ones that hopefully bring in the next generation. And that's kind of where I've put my life for the rest of, rest of what I got, because I think that's, that's what I have to offer. Well, th there you go, and it's a, it's a good way to spend it. All right, Brian, you get the final, final word. <laughs> well, you know, just to tack on to what Mayor Money said, you know, I think, I think uh, you know, there's going to be people that will lose and we have to find those people that don't want to lose and are open to it and team up and do that. And maybe we can save some of those other ones. You know, I, uh, last weekend you were texting me and I was doing a training for people. I opened a lot of people's eyes just talking about, yeah. I, would, I was just talking about basic principles and people just, I mean, their minds were blown. So one thing is getting the word out, and we've got to continue doing that yes. because there are more people going to grab onto it. The second thing is, is again, find the people to take care of each other, like Mr. Mundy said, you know, and not just physically, but spiritually. We've got to pray for each other. You know, we've got to, you know, do that as well. And, it, you know, it just, you know, I'm, I'm, I shudder to see how many people, and, and, and you can tell the ones that are going to be lost first. And, and, and that have lost. And you just, it, it, it saddens me because a lot of it's family, but you know, I've tried and tried and tried. And now I don't sound so much like the crazy person anymore for <laughs> wanting to raise my own chickens or, no. you know, have that garden or something like that. But that's not, that's not what it's about. I don't want to be, I don't want to spike the football. I don't want to, it, it doesn't pride me to say, Oh, look at me. Look at, look what I'm doing. Ah, you know, I'm ahead. No, that's not. That's not it. Because I'm still learning. I'm still failing, you know. And you know, we we've got to learn how to extend it and take care of others. Well, there you go. That'll conclude this episode of Free Farm Friday, and a good one it was. Gentlemen, have a, a, a safe and blessed weekend with your families and your animals. Don't forget to save some for me, uh, Brian. You'd be very proud to see what I grew from little tiny seedlings from um, uh, from Park Seed, uh, that Black Beauty squash plant uh, that I grew in, into those little uh, containers. Got a pair of them. They're dark, dark, beautiful green. And 
and uh, the leaves are about six inches in diameter now. They're surrounded by beautiful leaves and pine straw from Ida. <laughs> and then my yellow squash, which are about the same size, and I grew from seeds as well, uh, have light green leaves about the same size, surrounded by squash. Uh, God willing, and we'll keep talking about, you know, the problems I can have with it. Uh, they will, by the time we get our first frost here in Louisiana uh, in early November, will be producing fruit. And uh, we look forward to that. So, guys, uh, thanks for all of your Free Farm Friday dedication. Uh, God bless you both, and we'll uh, talk next week. Friday dedication. Uh, God bless you both, and we'll uh, talk next week.